Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is a Swiss luxury watch manufacturer based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Known for its unique engineering approach to watchmaking, IWC combines the best of human craftsmanship and creativity with cutting-edge technology and processes. Discover the full collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. I have a very exciting episode for you today. I left my puppy at home, so uh, I'm in studio, and I'm just hoping she's okay. I, and Stacy, <laughs> our guest today, is also a, a dog parent as well, the CEO of the Algorand Foundation. Your little guy is, is somewhere downstairs. So I have two that you, your producer made me lock them downstairs. They're, they're wondering, you know, what's up? <laughs> they're like, mom, what are you doing? What's going on? <laughs> Mine are in the living room, just probably scrambling, um, wondering when I'll get back. They probably think that like seven years have passed <laughs> since I left the house. You, you take the trash out and then you come back in and they're like, ah, oh, so glad to see yeah, you. Yeah. And I've just, it's been so long. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it brings great joy to my life. What kind of dogs do you have? I have two Australian shepherds. Oh, those are beautiful. And dogs, yeah. one is two, and the other is about twenty weeks old. So, oh wow! Two weeks. Okay, yeah. So she's okay. She's a baby. So I got to rush back yeah. once this is over. Life gets easier at four months. About, yeah, they're about. She's pretty tame though, and like I feel like the other one kind of. You know, it's technically her aunt. Anyway, without going into all the details of the lineage of my dogs and, and whatnot. Um, so let's talk about Algorand. Um, we've been doing these shows where we have, you know, representatives from the major blockchains come on and just explain to our listeners what's going on, why it matters, and what you guys are expecting to come down the road. So let's start there. Maybe you can walk our listeners through what the Algorand Foundation does and how you sort of engage with Algorand itself. Yeah. So, you know, the Algorand blockchain uh, famously was founded by Silvio Macaulay. He's a one of the world's most famous cryptographers. You know, he won the Turing Award. He's a tenure professor at MIT. He watched the space develop, and he had invented a couple of things that are very important to us all in cryptocurrency ecosystem, 
zero knowledge proofs and verifiable random functions. So he he had built some of the building blocks of our entire ecosystem. And he, you know, watched the space develop for a few years. And I think he thought to himself that he could probably build a pretty pretty good layer one blockchain himself. So in uh, 2017, he was able to, you know, immediately raise a bunch of money and then went live in 2019 with a new kind of consensus protocol, which is not proof of stake, but it's called pure proof of stake, which is based on verifiable random functions that he kind of invented. And then the foundation was uh, developed at the same time and given money so that it would be you know, kept apart from the developers so that the community would understand that the the money was going to be released in a responsible manner. Um, I came on to join the foundation this year. So I've been the CEO for six months. So far, so good, I would say. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have uh, been on a major growth uh, trajectory since I got here, both in terms of spending on marketing, uh, spending on the ecosystem, reorganization internally, and hiring internally at the foundation. So you know, we're all about kind of marketing and growth and scale right now, which we're pretty excited about. You know, what's interesting is when you think of a traditional corporate structure, right, there's typically a board and the CEO will report to the board. To whom do you report? Is it the community? Is it the sort of the developers at Algorand itself? And when you came on six months ago, who sort of communicated like, exactly what your role would be, or are you sort of developing it yourself? Well, I got to say, you know, most days I feel like I report to my Twitter followers, but, uh, you know, apart from that, because they always seem to have a view about, you know, what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing and, and whatnot. But if you think about the Algorand ecosystem, there's Algorand, the technology company. As Silvio founded that company, that company has a CEO and a COO and a bunch of developers and a product development pipeline, you know, the long, as long as my arm. Then the foundation is a, a separate entity. It does have a board, and I do report to the board. The Algorand Inc. also has a board. We are uh, cooperative, but we maintain very strict arm's length relationships one, one to the other. Um, I actually was headhunted a year ago to serve on the board. That's how I first came to be part of the Algorand ecosystem. Mm. And I served on the board into, from about September till the end of the year. And then uh, this year, I guess I didn't do a terrible job as a board member. Uh, the board appointed me as the CEO. I still have the board that I report to. I talk to Silvio a lot, of course, but he doesn't sit on our board or anything like that. Mm. They're very independent organizations. And I spend money and I invest money and I give grant money and I do things on behalf of our ecosystem. So the foundation institutionally, and I personally think of ourselves very much as stewards of the money for, of the foundation on behalf of the ecosystem. And for that, in the last um, sort of three quarters, I guess when we're our fourth governance, we've been rolling out a governance uh, program for the ecosystem so that now there's a governance mechanism for the continued uh, decentralization of the Algorand protocol. How do you think about governance? Is it efficient? How do you make governance decentralized, but also efficient? Yeah, you know, it's like democracy, I would say. It's messy governance, right? We had a vote that uh, the foundation lost in our last governance period. Our our community voted against us, and we thought that we made a very good case for what we wanted to do. And they said, no, you 
didn't make a good enough case and uh, you didn't explain it well enough and we mm. didn't like this element of it. And so there- What very, was the specific proposal? The idea, which I think we're still committed to, and I think the community has a broad agreement around, is that we have criteria for governance and the criteria is that you lock up your algo and you take votes. Uh, that's kind of a main main criteria. But we wanted to open the aperture for- uh, what counts as a governor in an ecosystem and what other kinds of activities would count as being a governor. And in particular, to begin, we wanted to count a DeFi engagement as a part of governance and make you entitled to governance rewards. And we also had a voting measure in there that would say that uh, DeFi participants might get twice the votes of regular governors. And we had good reasons for doing that because we wanted to help the, give a little bit more oomph to the retail investor. But the governors, even though they understood that and they understood how it might benefit them, they really were very committed to a one vote, one algo regime, a pure democratic regime. And I, and I respect them very much for that. Although, as I said, they voted against us. It was a pretty interesting mm -hmm. exercise to go through. Yeah. Was it frustrating? Um, not frustrating. Because when I don't get my way here at the <laughs> block, I get very frustrated. <laughs> just pound the table. No, there is no democracy here at the scoop. <laughs> uh, sadly, uh, sadly, that's not how I'm uh, I'm allowed to operate. But um, I was surprised. Let me let me put it that way because I thought that look, the the foundation does not propose things that we don't think are in the best interests of the community, right? So we were surprised that we were voted against. Actually, I would say. Got it. It's, you know, I think it speaks to the to the strength of our of our community and to how seriously they take the governance process, which, of course, I'm very happy about. I think it's one of the most fascinating things about crypto that is not talked about. We see all of these proposals hit the wire, and we see the discourse within different Telegram groups and discords, but I don't think it's unpacked enough. Just the logistics of this new type of corporate structure right. that is proposed to be superior, but there's also these thorny elements that make it wonky and, to my point, a bit frustrating at times and confusing. I mean, there are drawbacks to an extent. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could imagine, right, that I we put up a governance proposal that says, how many algos do you think we should give away every quarter? You can imagine that the vote on that might <laughs> be a lot of algos, right? That's not in the best, <laughs> it's not in the best interests of the ecosystem in the medium term. So you, the foundation, and I think the community appreciates this, will always have a role in proposing these things and making sure they're properly constructed. So there's not, um, you know, yeah. too bad of a downside it's, either it's way. It's fairly interesting. And, you know, there's already an issue in public equities of voter participation. It's also a problem in our politics as well, especially here in America. There's just a dearth of interest in wanting to engage politically, voting specifically. And when you think of decentralized finance and blockchain, the decisions to be made are super esoteric and complex. And so the pool of people that would want to weigh in on something like, you know, what is the interest rate that we're going to implement for X, you know, it's a small pool of folks that, that care to do that. So how do you incentivize 
participation? How do you make a community robust enough to care to participate? Is it simply incentives? You know, the more you participate, the more tokens you get. You know, there are 70 million algos that we give out every quarter to participate in governance, broadly defined. And right now it's defined as, you know, tying up your algo for three months and taking part in votes. The other track of this, though, which is quite interesting is, and we want to move very much to this model, and we are, I would say, three good steps into it right now, is that the community would be able to propose projects that we could fund, what we're calling ex-govs, govs that uh, lock in at least the rewards portion for a year would have the right to bubble up these proposals. Anybody can make a proposal, but they would be able to bubble up these proposals for vote with the community so that the funding of the foundation could be further directed by the, the desires of the community. So we're in a DAO structure. And we, of course, wouldn't specify the structure of the DAO, but we would let a thousand flowers bloom there and use that as a mechanism for bubbling up new projects on the ecosystem. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. It takes a little bit of time to get that rolled out, but I'm pretty excited about that, actually. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, by the way, the Algorand ecosystem famously does not pay you for consensus, right? So there's no, you know, staked algo, there's no delegated algo, there's none of these other things that are required in some of the other consensus mechanisms in order to, you know, Silvio designed this thing so that it's a very light lift. You can participate in consensus even with a high-powered laptop and it has a very low environmental footprint, very low burden. And so we expect you as part of your good citizenship in the Algo community to participate in consensus yeah. on that basis. So talk to me a little bit about who the target audience or user base is for Algorand's technology. I see you guys dabbling in real estate. You guys acquired Napster, the music streamer. So a lot going on here. What's the most primed use cases? You know, we think that, uh, you know, the future of finance is upon us. And in order for, and I, I'm speaking about kind of crypto and blockchain more broadly, in order to give traditional finance a run for its money, either in the things that you mentioned, but also in, you know, payments and access to credit, tokenization of real world assets, all of those things that we think can be done uh, better or at least equally well in a kind of a blockchain space. In order for that to happen at large scale, your layer one has to have a certain number of qualities. Like, first of all, it has to have very high transaction speeds, right? So Algorand has right now operates at about a thousand transactions per second. We're moving this summer to 6,000 transactions per second. By the end of the year, 10,000 transactions per second. Your blockchain has to be cheap to operate. So we don't have gas fees. We have sub-penny transaction costs. So a transaction costs 0.001 algo. I mean, it's like not even noticeable. It has to have a very low carbon footprint. We have a low carbon footprint of like seven houses and we use smart contracts to make sure that our transaction fees offset any energy that we use, so that we stay always neutral to, to negative. And it can't fork. So Algren has final settlement in 4.5 seconds. We're moving to 2.5 seconds by the end of the year and no forking at all. So when you've got a machine like that, of course, you start thinking big. And so we think in terms of very big uh, global problems, uh, financial inclusion, you know, the, the two 1.7 billion people that don't have access to traditional finance of any kind, a billion of those, by the way, have a, have a mobile device of some kind. We think about 
the need for immediate payments and things like disaster relief scenarios. We think about Web2 type organizations like Napster is a very good example. They're trying now to create economies where they give back more to the creators. Government of Nigeria is another example that they've just signed with us to do a, a platform that will protect intellectual property rights and allow the monetization of those kinds of rights in Nigeria, not to mention all the things that you talk about a lot on your show, right? The DeFi and the, the creator space and all of that. But these kinds of things, like we can handle the scale for that. And so naturally, we tend to try to think yeah. about those things as well. Why do you think more people in crypto aren't talking about Algorand? Um, I think in the beginning, we made a mistake and a deal with the devil, which I think got us off maybe on the wrong foot. And I think the mistake that was made, and I'm talking about the foundation, was that this tech is so good that the tech will speak for itself. Like it's obvious. We have kind of, we have the best tech in crypto. And I think a lot of people would acknowledge that or put it at the very, very top. So surely everybody will recognize this and, and, you know, normal things will follow from that. And I think any marketer will tell you that that's absolutely not the case, right? So we needed to come in and we need to do a lot more to tell the story about how good we are and, and how committed we are to our, to our ecosystem. That was number one. And I think number two was, and this is much more true at the beginning than it is now, but Silvio and his team of engineers decided that solidity is not a good enough language. And so a different machine language needed to be built. And further, the reason that Solidity is not a good enough language is part of the reasons that Solidity is fun to program on. It's, it like lets you pile a bunch of stuff in there that you might not always need to use. It's very, it's kind of forgiven. It's the kind of language that you might, you know, Algorand Teal, which is our machine language, is the kind of language that you use to fly airplanes. Like it does not let you make mistakes, right? If you want to call something, you better use that thing that you're calling. You can't just call anything and hope to use it later. And so this is not fun to learn in the beginning, back then in particular. Now we've got all kinds of interesting overlays that make it that make it easier. A teal, a Python overlay, and uh, we have partners with Reach that do a nice JavaScript overlay. So it's not so hard now. But in the beginning, he was not able to just import a bunch of solidity in, in developers by giving them a bunch of incentives to build an algorithm because it required learning something new. And that was a tough sell in the beginning when it's a nascent ecosystem as well, right? Yeah. But that's all in the past now, Frank. I mean, now we are, we're cooking with gas over here. Well, not, not that much gas. <laughs> right, right. Not that much gas. You're right. <laughs> Let's maybe think about... The juxtaposition of, of decentralized finance and traditional finance, I think that the centralized market participants have struggled amid everything that's going on in the market post-Luna meltdown, post-Three-Arrows Capital melting down. Do you think decentralized finance is holding up better than the other side of the market? You know what uh, has struck me about this is that, you know, and you and I are both at the NASDAQ, for example, right? So we've both been, I have spent my career in traditional finance. You know, I was at JP Morgan for eight years. I was at the NASDAQ for two years. I've worked at the Treasury Department for two years. I've been, worked for Mike Milken in the public sector for two years. Like, I feel like I've kind of seen it all and I've lived through the NASDAQ 
crash, the global financial crisis. I was at JP Morgan and now, you know, this is not my first crypto winter either. And what strikes me, and, I, and I'm also not claiming this is a, a, an observation unique to me, is that when you've got regulated financial entities, then it is easy for investors to understand what's going on because they have to report about things. And when you have pure decentralized entities, it's easy for investors to understand what's going on because it's on the blockchain and it's very transparent to anybody that wants to do the work. Where we get in trouble is when you're in the middle, when you're actually a centralized kind of finance play, and I'm not going to name any names, but some of them have gotten in a lot of trouble recently, where you're not regulated in the way that you that investors can do the due diligence. And you're also not on the blockchain purely where investors can do the due diligence by just looking at the blockchain. So you're in the middle. And that has turned out to be a very fuzzy area and very hard for depositors investors to understand what's going on with their coin to the demise of uh, too many parties, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's just absurd. I mean, the lack of explanation or the lack of clarity around exactly what these companies are and what they do is very unfortunate for the users. And I mean, I don't know if it's criminal per se, but it's certainly, or maybe it is. I don't know. I, I just think there's been a lot of misrepresentation out there of what a company is, what it does. When you talk about being an, a non-bank or telling people you're going to unbank them and effectively what you do is exactly what is done inside a bank like JP Morgan lending out assets, OTC trading, then you're a bank. So I think it's absurd what some of these Yeah, I mean, you know, done. when people ask me what's going on with crypto, I say, you know, it's not so much about crypto. It's the same villains. It's leverage and rehypothecation and things like that. And it's just playing out in a new arena, really. But it's the, it's the same villains that you see over and over again. Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is known for continually innovating within the world of Swiss watchmaking. A pioneer in the use of titanium and ceramics, IWC today specializes in highly engineered watch cases manufactured from advanced materials such as colored ceramics, ceritanium, and titanium aluminide. This year's collection includes colored ceramic pieces in Lake Tahoe white and woodland green. Discover the new collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. So do you think that users are better off using pure DeFi relative to CeFi since, I mean, the threat, and this is what Anatoly at Solana said on Twitter just an hour ago, the threat of liquidation is what protects all the users of DeFi. Since it's programmed, it runs automatically without managerial intervention. And that's what makes it 
superior? You know, if you are not going to assess somebody's credit and you're not going to get a FICO score out of somebody and you're not going to ask questions about who your borrower is, then you need to over collateralize and you need to liquidate by smart contract. Like those two things go together because the way that banks assess credit is in part by knowing who you are and making it a determination about what kind of a credit risk you are. And so if you forego that, then you better make sure you're over collateralized and you better make sure you can liquidate when you need to. Now, that's a good model most of the time, right? It's not typically a great model, though, in black swan events, or it can be a problematic model in black swan events. So I saw this when I was at JP Morgan, and I looked after our uh, public sector and our central bank client base, right? So this is, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of asset under management. And they had rules. So if credit was downgraded below investment grade, they had to force sell. Like this was rule, rule-based. It wasn't smart contract, but it was rule-based. And they found uh, sometimes that they were forced to sell when they understood that they could have ridden it out, right? And they wanted to maybe just ride out something and they had to sell. So, you know, this is always the tension, right? Sometimes human judgment is better than a rule, but not always. And and the same thing with monetary policy more broadly, right? In a perfect world, the best case scenario is a central banker that does the right thing, that understands how to navigate the money supply. The second best thing is a rule-based monetary supply dynamic, right? Like a Bitcoin type monetary supply dynamic. And in third place, far, far beyond is a central banker that doesn't know what they're doing, right? That inflates the currency to help for political, you know, objectives or whatever it is. And so if you're worried about being in the third world, you might choose the second world, but in sometimes the best case scenario can be in the first world. So I think, you know, crypto and traditional finance, they will exist together and they will each have use cases that are good for certain scenarios and certain instances. We're in a very uncertain macroeconomic environment. We got the really hot CPI print this morning, uh, the highest since 1981. It's always since 1981. It's a tough year, 1981, though. <laughs> it's a very tough year. <laughs> Feels like just yesterday. Um, <laughs> so this isn't a great time to be a growth tech company, a company in crypto, or a project in crypto. I, and even if you have something really good, you've got gas kind of serving as a tailwind behind you there might be some difficulties in convincing maybe partners or brands or financial services companies to kind of want to wade into crypto or Algorand more specifically because of just how uncertain things are right now. How do you counterbalance that? You know, look, nobody loves a crypto winter, but it has been a pretty good crypto winter for us, actually. Uh, Like a global winter. Yeah, it's a global winter, right? If you've been watching sure. the New York City ads, it could be soon a nuclear winter. Then we, you know, then we won't yeah. have anything to worry then, about. Right, right, right. Anyway, way, though, did you did you see those um, the pictures from space that NASA sent up now? With yeah, the, I mean, that's just unbelievable. I am blown away by these images and the fact that humans can actually put something together like that to take them. Right? Can I be honest with you? It, they're beautiful. It's stunning. It's almost like art. But I'm not a real big science person. And it's been, I mean, decades since I've like taken a physics class. I don't know. Why is it that the pictures are from like billions of years ago? Is that, how does that work? Does that, I'm, 
I think because, you know, by the time it takes the waves to what get we're to seeing, us, you know, that we're, we're, yeah, what we're, we're seeing, seeing it's taking billions yeah, it, of years to reach well, uh, right. our eyes. It's crazy to stuff. Reach us. Right. I mean, last year, last year they predicted, they knew from some technology that something had happened and that we were going to see it. And then they said, you know, in an hour, we're going to see this thing that happened so like incredible. a couple of billion years ago. And then an hour later, it happened like on schedule. Like that stuff is just, it just yeah, blows it's my phenomenal. mind. And, you know, this all leads, all of those, you know, 4 billion years of the history of the universe all leads me back to why this crypto winter has been Does it really good for Ow. Algorand. You know, it all, <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> it was in the stars um, that you would succeed. It was in the stars, right. It was in the stars, 100%. But we have suffered, I think, in some of the, the heyday of, you know, oh, you're the professor's coin, right? You're the adult in the room. You're the, well, I got to tell you, in Crypto Winner, everybody kind of likes the adult in the room, layer one blockchain. So this has been uh, quite good for us. And we had some problems, especially, you know, the creators. But we got, for example, the Poppin' Puffins came over. They're now our number two NFT, you know, and they give money to conservation, to waterfowl conservation, to puffin conservation. And so we've been able to attract some attention like that. We also, you know, you can see who's committed to the space in a crypto winter in the way that you can't when things are on fire. This was something that I did not expect, but I had a, I'm trying to hire some very senior people and I've, I've just hired a couple of great people actually and a couple of more in the pipeline, but I had another candidate that I was very excited about that ghosted hmm. me. And I realized like I would not, the only way I know that is because it's crypto winter. And I would have hired this person and they wouldn't have been committed to the space and I wouldn't have known that. And I think of that as really a silver lining to, and then, you know, there's just not as much noise going around, right? So you just like keep your head down, build, hire, you have attention. We need to integrate the algo into a number of different things. And so people actually have attention, some attention to talk to you now. So there's some silver linings to it for sure. Yeah, you don't have the, um, I think it's Emily Choi at Coinbase who talks about the mercenaries and the visionaries, you want the the latter and maybe the latter easier to come by in a, a winter period. Right. That's a good, I hadn't heard that, but that's, yeah, that's right. I think that's what she says. Um, I'll have to go back and listen to that episode of The Scoop. It came out, I recall, my goodness, that feels like ages ago. It was How at the end of done? the year. How many shows? Done? I think I've done... 230. Okay, that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, but that one I recorded when I was in Australia. I woke up for that one at the all if anyone at Bloomberg's listening to this, they're gonna laugh because they all wake up at 3 30 anyway. But I recorded that at four and I thought I was I was delirious. I'm just not someone who can wake up very early. Um, I did, you know, I did a Bloomberg interview a couple of months ago and they mm -hmm. very gingerly walked over to the host, the anchor, and they get, they let her take like five sips of water and they walked off. I said, they don't let you drink. And she says, well, they, they don't let me go to the bathroom. You know, yeah. I'm on for five That's hours intense. in a row. And so I, I can't drink. I thought, oh man, it's quite a life. So energy efficiency is one aspect of the blockchain that is touted as being a, a positive feature. Yeah. Can you explain the self-executing mechanism that offsets Algorand's footprint, carbon footprint? 
Oh, you know, I mean, we we would have done it anyway, but we put it in a smart contract because, you know, if you're a blockchain, self-respecting blockchain company, you got to put the thing in a smart contract, right? Mm-hmm. But we collect fees, we collect transaction fees, and we just have it that the spend out of that wallet has to go to offset our energy bill, our, our calculated energy consumption. We buy carbon credits uh, with that from um, Carbon Trade, which is a, a protocol on Algorand, and we buy carbon offsets to make sure that we're negative. And we do it through a smart contract, even though we would we would do it anyway. But, you know, if I get hit by a bus and evil CEO comes on, they can't do anything about it. We'll always offset our usage with mm. our fees. Yeah. So you guys have hundreds of millions of dollars in the ecosystem funds that were announced, I think, last year. What projects are being developed that you're most excited about? Given away, I think, about $50 million in grants since our inception. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a lot uh, right now. You know, I like to say there's kind of a Cambrian explosion of things happening in the ecosystem right now. You know, when I think of them in uh, verticals, though, and you think about traditional uh, DeFi, there's a couple of things that are, are pretty exciting going on right now. One is a protocol called C3, which is made uh, developed by Rand Labs. That's about to go live pretty soon. That's a cross-chain um, margining and collateral management platform, which will allow you from any wallet to execute on the Algorand blockchain. So we think that's, you know, we believe in a multi-chain world. We think this is going to be a pretty exciting part of the solution for that. So governance set up a little bit of a tension between the DeFi ecosystem. So you can participate in governance rewards or you can participate in DeFi. And, you know, to a certain extent, they're going to compete with each other a little bit. And so three Mm -hmm. of our uh, quite energetic uh, DeFi apps, uh, Folks Finance, AlgoFi, and Guard, they came up with protocols where you can participate in governance and also you know, borrow against those funds and participate in DeFi at the same time. And you know, we had about, I, w- I would say that's added maybe almost 150 to 200 million in money back into the DeFi ecosystem that's also participating in governance. So this kind of creativity we think is pretty interesting and pretty broad participation there. And then in the creative economy, we've got, you know, we had a really great launch with the Australian Zoo, again, for NFTs to protect and to fundraise for the zoo. We've got a bunch of different NFT marketplaces, um, really interesting things going on in the music space. So something called the song that owns itself, you can invest in a song directly. Of course, the partnership with Napster, we think is going to unleash a ton of value. Everybody's talking about our partnership with FIFA in sports, for example. So there, you know, FIFA shopped around for a layer one. They picked us. It was not like a marketing where we paid money to have our name in the beginning, you know, around the inside of the thing. They wanted a blockchain partner and they picked us. And that's going to unleash a couple of things that I think we can be pretty excited about in terms of NFT marketplace, but also potentially ticket ticketing and wallets and, and that kind of thing. So these are all, you know, examples of things that are coming up either in a, a pure you could call it a Web3 space or Web2 trying to get to Web3 or traditional kind of real world stuff. It's, uh, yeah, it's a lot going on, I would say. What are the benefits of building an NFT marketplace on Algorand versus a different blockchain? Yeah, well, what we're hearing is that the low environmental footprint is very important to creators in particular, right? They tend to over-index on caring about Mother Earth and, and they're cut from the same cloth. The practical reason, though, is really just transaction fees, right? I mean, we've got very good marketplaces that other people do as well. When you have a price point that's not very high for your art and you 
we all know what happened um, on Ethereum with a big NFT collection and prices that were paid and sometimes were even for sales that didn't happen. If you, you know, you want to make sure that you're not paying more um, in transaction fees for your piece of art than you're paying for your piece of art, right? So that combination of, um, I think, a very energetic community and a very welcoming community in art, low carbon footprint, low fees, it's a pretty good place to do your NFT business, I'd say. Yeah, fair enough. It's interesting, though. I think low fees for NFTs is a sort of double-edged sword, though, because... I don't know, the expensiveness of Ethereum almost like keeps certain people out. Although you'll get the copycats anyway, a lot of the time. How is bridging uh, USDC to Algorand help the ecosystem grow? Well, you know, USDC is the backbone of crypto, right? So we, you know, you can't be without it, of course. We are very committed, though, to multi-chain world. And so... We have uh, integration starting now with Wormhole, and um, we are developing, when I say we, I mean the smart people over at Algorand Inc., not me, but uh, developing something called state proofs, which enables uh, trustless bridges between two ecosystems. And so you wouldn't have kind of 29 validators making sure before you mint and burn that this can be done just by smart contract. And the reason it can be done is because a state proof takes a snapshot of the Algorand blockchain, and you, from another chain, can rely on the same consensus mechanism that proves the proof of state of the blockchain is the same consensus mechanism that you can rely on to understand that this picture of the blockchain is in fact valid. And so it's the best technology, we think, for this. We don't have any particular pride of ownership for it. So we are going to help other blockchains make use of this technology if they are working with the GBBC and others to make use of this technology if they're interested in it. Mm. Makes sense. What's on the horizon for Algorand? There's a lot on the horizon for Algorand. So, uh, you know, if I can divide it into uh, the sort of crypto sphere and the real world sphere, I would say that in the going up against traditional finance kind of sphere, I would say a couple of important things are happening. One, we are very focused on payments and improving payments mechanisms. And we've really started with in the disaster relief area. So I don't know if you know, but... Uh, I certainly didn't know this. I was um, surprised to find out that sometimes volunteers, when they go to disaster relief areas, they carry with them prepaid debit cards, Mm. like tens of thousands of dollars and hundreds of thousands of dollars showing up in a disaster site in prepaid debit cards, right? And if you are giving away money and you're part of like FEMA, say, you've got to make sure that this money, that there's no fraud, that encourages you to be slow and thoughtful. But if you're bedroom is flooded, you need that money to come quickly. And so a blockchain and a blockchain like Algorand, which is has, you know, disasters are caused by global warming. So you could never do this on a, on a blockchain that contributed to the problem, right? If you do something like this in a partnership with, with a blockchain like Algorand, then you can make those payments very quickly and you can make them in a way that the giving entity can be assured that fraud is not taking place, right? Because it's on the blockchain. So these are the kinds of like, projects that we're very excited about. We have a partnership. Uh, hopefully, uh, the community is going to is always asking me when this is going to launch. So I have to say it's a, a little bit, a couple more months, probably another, maybe at the end of the summer. But we are partnering with um, uh, an organization in Africa that is going to, they've had the great insight that um, mobile phones, uh, 4G phones, probably can't aren't affordable all at once by Africans, but they're affordable on a kind of a more of a rental subscription basis. 
So Algorand will ship in the tech stack of these phones that can be, and then you can imagine what that's going to do for financial inclusion to have to get 4G phones in the hands of people. We're very excited about that. A lot of identity plays where, you know, identity is the bedrock for financial inclusion. So we're very excited about things like that. That's uh, some of the sort of, I would say, kind of the North Star kinds of things that we're super excited about. Just more broadly, though, I mean, we're we're just excited for the growth of this ecosystem. We're the best cheerleaders for the dApps that are building on eco, on our ecosystem. And they are getting, some of them are getting bigger and stronger and have the most creative ideas. And we just, you know, we just kind of want to be right there with them, right? Is regulation something that's concerning you? I feel like post-Terra Luna, you've had a lot of different policy folks and regulators come out and sort of pick apart decentralized finance. And maybe there's a possibility that it could draw the ear of regulators to clamp down on all different types of blockchain-based DEXs and marketplaces. Yeah, you, you have to hope they don't throw the baby out with the bathwater on this on this stuff. Um, you know, your guess is as good as well, mine. Do you th- I, I don't know. Do you think they will throw the... I mean, I guess it's a concern. There's no doubt about that, that they would throw the baby out with the bathwater. Is it one of those things where it's like, you know, not to be nihilistic, but nothing you can do. You know, I, I say this as an observer. You know, we are not domiciled in the United States. We don't issue algo in the United States. We don't, you know, have anything to do with the with the U.S. regulatory environment. So I say this just as a kind of a personal observation. But I do think that this administration does seem to be making the right noises about how they want to be thoughtful about this. They understand that being a leader in this space is going to be very important to the overall global leadership uh, race and technology more broadly. And so, I, I, you know, they say the right things about that. I think also that the industry does need regulatory clarity. And so I think everybody welcomes some regulatory clarity. But, you know, I just say this as, a, as a, an individual. I don't, we don't, you know, we take what's given us, you know, globally, so... Yeah, understood. Well, this was a lot of fun. We kind of bookend the show with dogs, which I love. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That is no, no, no. This was it was literally perfect. It's like he knew that we were getting to the top of the hour. Really appreciate you stopping by the scoop to chat with us today. Once again, we've been joined by our guest, Stacey Warden, CEO of the Algorand Foundation. Where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're working on? Sure. It's Stacey W underscore DC on Twitter. And we're launching our new uh, website next week at the Algorand Foundation. So please uh, come and uh, give it a check out next week. And, and I want to say that I've listened to, uh, I don't know, a number of your podcasts. And I, I thought the one last week on the current state of the market was so good. And um, I'm just thrilled that I could actually be on it when I've listened to it so much. So thank you so much, Frank. Oh, our pleasure. We have a lot of fun here. It's it's one of my one of my pride and joys. We'll have you back on at some point. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Frank. Cheers. Cheers. The scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.